The Athletic. Qatar Finals. Day 18 of the World Cup saw shootouts and bootouts and Van Hal get his woot out. First, Brazil-Croatia with Pekovic, then Spokic and Neymar weeping on the pitch. Meanwhile, pens were a bitch for Netherlands too after their incredible comeback attempt against Argentina. We drink it all in and spit some of it back out and look ahead to Saturday's games. England looking for answers. Do they have the speed that France has? And what awaits in Morocco-Portugal? It's all coming up in Totally at the World Cup. Day 18 at the World Cup, and as Brazil and the Netherlands leave in tears, we're joined by Sasha Gurinov and Tim Spears. Hello to you both. Good evening. Hi, hi James. Hi to you too, Sasha. It's been an epic day, pretty epic show coming up as well. We've got Slavin Bilic with us, talking about Croatia later on. Also, we'll be hearing from Julian Laurence on Guess What? France. And also Bruno Souza and uh, Maher Mazahi on Saturday's big Morocco-Portugal. Quarter final. Yeah. What a day Friday's been, though. Just before, you know, we start getting your thoughts, just going to throw the results at you in case you missed it. Croatia met Brazil in the afternoon, took them to extra time, and then won on penalties. Put Neymar and company out of the World Cup. Croatia will now meet in the semi final Argentina, who, after a pretty tumultuous game, defeated Netherlands also. On spot kicks. Loads to discuss from those games. The goals, the free kicks, the penalties, all that stuff. But along with the football, one other bit of news that was reported in the past few days was the death of a Filipino worker, uh, which occurred during the group stage, apparently, at Saudi Arabia's training uh, headquarters. Uh, The Athletic Football Podcast have done an episode on the -the off-the-field issues that continue to cast a shadow over this World Cup. That's with Adam Kraft and Matt Slater and Laura Williamson. And you can hear an excerpt from that at the end of today's Totally Football show. Now, Friday's action, and let's begin with the evening game, Netherlands-Argentina. This is the Totally Football show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be Martinez. Contra Nopert, se le mueve el arquero, va Lautaro, va Lautarito, va Lautaro, Lautaro, gol! That was the sound of Argentine commentary relaying to a grateful nation that the Albi Celeste were in the World Cup semi-finals. This is what it sounded like in Buenos Aires. What do you think then, Tim? took a while to get going. You were, curiously, you were sat watching this with Slavin Bilic. Of course I was. <laughs> right, OK. Well, interested to hear what his take was, but to begin with, yours and, and Sasha's. As I say, it took a while to get going, but when it did, my word, four goals, uh, 13 yellow cards, or possibly more, actually. I think we might have been up 15 to... 15 at least. 15 at the end. Uh, so an extraordinary free kick and the drama of the shootout. It did take a while to get going. I mean, it was it might be a boring way to start after a match of such drama, but it was quite interesting tactically how how Argentina just completely nullified the Dutch for probably yeah best part of an hour. Matched up the wing backs, Dumfries just was was anonymous, and then this great footballing nation of total football and 
some of the best players we've ever, ever seen on this planet go 4-4-2 with two big guys up front <laughs> and Argentina just didn't know how to respond and that's what got them back in the game and mm. that Veghorst completely changed the face of this World Cup quarterfinal which I personally, I don't know about you guys, just did not see that coming. No. Bring on the Burnley. Absolutely. Indeed. I think in Holland they might look at that and it's, it's basically Van Hal sticking up two fingers at the tradition uh, and it would be so like Van Hal. Um, so in a way I thought even despite the fact they went out, in a way I think Van Hal was vindicated because he was ridiculed for bringing three big lads to the World Cup, including Vincent Janssen. Today they came on, they changed the game, they scored their penalties, they did everything that was asked of them. And uh, honestly, I feel gutted that, that Holland lost that because I thought, given what it took for them to come back, mm. to then miss those first two penalties, ugh, disappointed. The other side of the coin, though, is the fact that it took them till the 75th minute to have their first shot on target in the no, game. F- first shot on target was actually Vekhorst's goal. That was only the second shot in the entire game, 83rd Good minute. 83rd. It was absurd. Right. But there's also, I think, a bit of Van Hal in that. There is something slightly absurd about Van Hal these days, and I think this was, this was his match. Well, a remarkable finish, and some of the early elements were pretty extraordinary as well, not least the goal with which Argentina took the lead. Molina scored it, but the pass was from Leo Messi, and if you didn't see it, Neither did he. Yeah, that well, that was that was the great thing about that the replay of, of of Messi just completely looking in the other direction before he plays this incredible pass. And as some some boffin at the Athletic has already drawn up a sort of a predicted pass map of when Messi's running in from the right, where do his passes go? And almost exclusively they go left of centre. Whereas for this one, such an unusual ball, I don't know cliche maybe but there are a few in the world that could do that I think I think that's fair enough really for this pass um, yeah no luck pass uh, not only is he not right. looking but there are I think at least two players between him and his intended target so there's also Ake next to him he kind of right. shrugs, yeah. off, shrugs off Ake twice before still looking to the left and then playing this ball in I think before the start of the tournament there were a couple of question marks about Blinds defending but I'm not really sure you can he could do much there when Molina run, runs across him and he ends up the wrong side and no one sees the pass. And I think it was just a bewildering piece of play. You can't watch a goal like that no. and say <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, Blin's yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, what are you doing, man? We all <laughs> yeah, saw it coming. <laughs> so that was them taking a 1-0 lead and they doubled up afterwards with the penalty. The egg. The egg wins the, the penalty. Egg. Uh, as I said, hard-working left winger. He worked and worked and worked. Finally took a turn against Dumfries. And I think this is actually... Uh, a function of the change in formation for the Dutch because by that stage they were four at the back. So Dumfries has to come, had to come back on his own. There was no one really covering him. And also, you know, he's running up and down. So I think Acuna took a very good advantage of that to win the penalty. Um, definitely a foul. And at that moment when Messi takes the pen, I think we see that Norpert, when it comes to penalties, shows he's an experience at the highest level because right. he's a, I think he's a little bit overawed. Okay, this is only what his 45th, 46th game. No, no, for the, for the Dutch, no, it's like fourth or fifth. No, no, but uh, he'd had about 45 games before he yeah. got his call-up. Uh, yeah, so he's like, he's... This, Massively this, inexperienced yeah. and, and about to be tested in possibly the highest pressure situation a goalkeeper can face. Anyway, that's now Argentina 2-0 up and cruising. What turns, what begins to turn things around for the Dutch? Well, they, they stuck the two big guys on, De Jong and Veghorst. But they weren't actually putting any crosses into the box. I was sort of w- waiting for it, really, because they're going 4-4-2. It's pretty obvious what they were trying to do. And then finally, the one 
the one decent ball that they swing in, Veghorst gets a flick on at the near post. And then the whole mom- this, this this game of ours. This game of ours. The whole momentum just, just changes. Argentina looks scared. There's there's an extra zip in, in everything that Holland are doing. Right. They're, they're not for precious little before that. What was another of the turning points then, the moment when Paredes fouls Aki and then afterwards stares at the Dutch bench and hoofs the ball as hard as possible at them, <laughs> which sparks a pitch invasion by about... 10 orange-clad players, and players are falling over. I mean, it's a proper brawl. And after that, I think there is an extra bite to everything that the Netherlands do. Yeah, definitely. I'm not a fan of wrestling in any way, shape, or form, but surely someone's going to got to take that Van Dyke push and stick some of that, that WWE commentary over the top of it. It's completely yes. unnecessary. So for all of that, the Netherlands are still losing 2-1. The referee, in part because of that brawl, has added on 10 extra minutes and we've all but played them, Sash, when a free kick, a free kick rather, is awarded on the edge of the area. And this is, I mean, the most extraordinary part of the entire evening. Uh, it is for us who hadn't seen Wolfsburg from two years ago, but let's get on to that next. I'm, I'm looking at this, and they have like big lads in the box. Surely, don't shoot, just chip it in. And he rolls it along the floor. Right. Uh, to the bloke next to the wall who takes a be- beautiful touch and st- tucks it past the goalkeeper. And it's very coarse. And he's done it before. But I think here in the athletic, at the athletic, you know, people are watching it, the game's getting late, we'll have to talk about it afterwards. Maybe not so keen on extra time. Ha! When that goal went in, there were arms, legs, people running around, I snapped my ruler, and it was, it was quite the madness. Deep in the extra tide, Gakpo of Koopmanners, Koopmanners, Variant, and To, to pull off an, a free kick, to attempt a free kick that audacious at that moment of the game, 100 minutes played, 2-1, you're heading out of the competition. So just to break it down visually again, you've got, you got two groups of Dutch players, basically one on the edge of the Argentina wall and one in the middle. And there's the player line down as the draft excluder. And you're thinking, Sasha, dink it over the top because yeah. you've got in there. Other people are thinking they're using the middle guys as a diversion. They're going to go to the group who are standing at the far end of the line. But yeah, he just rolls it in. And instead of the line breaking the way it normally does, Vogt just takes a touch, steers it past the defender and then past Emi Martinez. I think it's it's one of the iconic moments of the whole tournament for me. I mean, they'd had a free kick in a similar position a few minutes earlier. Mm-hmm. So so to, to hold your nerve and, and wait... <laughs> Wait for 10 minutes to stop his story. Yeah, okay, we'll do this now, lads. And um, they know this is the last play of the game. Yeah. And, yeah. Where, uh, where do you think the idea came from? Because, Sash, you're referencing the fact that uh, footage quickly circulated of Veko scoring in a pretty identical fashion a free kick for Wolfsburg two years ago. Was it Vote who went in there and said, lads, it's the last kick of the game, I've got a plan? Vout calling the play would be something, and I hope it was. But also, I mean, great faith. I, I, I wasn't actually aware of that Wolfsburg uh, free kick before we came on air, but um, I just thought it was great faith in him because you'd think they'd probably want to roll it to Cody Gakpo, maybe. But, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. At this end of the office, everybody went a bit crazy at this point. What was happening in your viewing area with Slavin Bilic? I think he put his head in his hands. There was definitely a lot of, shout- a lot of shouting. I mean, he's, he's, he's great if anyone... Can do this. Well, mm. the, the Watford assistant manager, presumably, watch a match alongside Slaven Bilic because it's because it's it's fantastic <laughs> fun. He's very animated. He's very physical. Lots of sort of arm arm jostling and all this kind of stuff. He really really get gets into it. Right. Um, but yeah, I think he actually he actually seemed to favour an Argentina win because. Um, so he was in tears. 
<laughs> yeah. No, but it, it was it was it was one of those. No matter no matter what team you're supporting, you've just got to shout wow right. at, at that moment because I don't recall anything like it before. Certainly not at a World Cup. Certainly outside of Wolfsburg's training ground. Yeah. Okay. Sasha. I, I think for me, in terms of an unusual free kick, this is now up there. I know Zanetti, I think, did it against England, but uh, for me, it's up there with Brolin against Romania in, in 94, hmm. where he peels off the wall. I know it's a different type, of, but in terms of inventive free kick with the wall and, you know, what, does it, what do you do against it? I, I think it's up there for me now. Peels off the wall like a home decorator. All right. Well, that took us to extra time, uh, which got increasingly fraught and there were dramatic moments. But the key bit is we got to penalties and they went better for the Argentina side than they did for the Dutch. Easy to say in hindsight, but it did feel like the Dutch had taken a few penalty takers off. And, and Martinez has got a good record. It did it, it, it feel like that would happen, but it's easy to say in hindsight. Also, the weight of history. Uh, we had Carl Anker next to me saying, the Dutch are terrible at penalties, terrible penalties, and they are. And I think this was earlier reference to the earlier penalty and the goalkeeper. I think this was the situation that Van Gaal probably wished he could have substituted the goalkeeper. Unfortunately, he didn't really have much on the bench. Right. So he had to go with what he had. No Tim Krull. That was the problem. Where is Tim Krull? Well, penalties were cruel. That much we can say for the Netherlands. And of course, earlier on on Friday... For Brazil as well, with Argentina through to a semi-final clash with Croatia, we'll talk the earlier quarter-final next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Bill Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Yep, more pens, more people getting very agitated in front of microphones. And more heartbreaking tears for one unlucky nation, in this case, Brazil. Really, what a shock this was. Croatia, a nation, as their manager, Dalic, was saying, about the size of a Brazilian suburb, smaller than Yorkshire, he could have added. Slightly bigger than Uruguay. Slightly bigger than Uruguay, fair point. But a nation whose team had looked absolutely cooked in their last 16 match with Japan before uh, scraping by on, on penalties, taking on a Brazil team who, in their last 16 match, that looked like vintage Selassau tearing South Korea apart. What did Croatia do? They absolutely shut Brazil down and then beat them 
on-spot kicks. Wow. And this, despite the fact that after keeping them goalless for, what, 105 minutes, Neymar produces that flash of genius, and it looks like, well, there's no way that this side who hadn't had a single shot on target to that point, there's no way they're coming back from this. But they did. Neymar's goal, first of all, Tim, were you excited by that? It did get me excited. Okay. Him and Messi really came to the fore today, mm. uh, which is which is what you want really at this at this stage of the tournament. Um, Croatia just so durable, more of the sum of its parts than any other team that are here. And I just I didn't see Brazil scoring to be honest, but it's it's a fabulously well worked goal with the two one twos. Brilliant two one twos, and then he roofs it essentially from a very tight angle as well. You didn't see Brazil scoring, but once they had, did you see any way that Croatia were going to come back into that game? Or was it that Brazil thought they'd already won it? Potentially. I mean, they shouldn't be conceding a goal like that when you, when you want to up in a World Cup quarterfinal. Mm. Um, a goal like what, Tim? One that goes from one end of the pitch to the other very, very quickly. You, you wouldn't expect Croatia to be scoring that kind of goal on the counter-attack. It's just th- th- this, this record of theirs... Extra time. I mean, I, you know, l- like you were saying, I, I, I knew that they'd give Brazil the toughest test that they've had so far. I think we could all see that. But you just thought with the exertions they'd had a few days ago that Brazil would have too much for Croatia ultimately. So for them to ra- rouse themselves for that goal was quite something. Um, yeah, I was kind of thinking of Croatia earlier as if they were playing cricket, they'd be a test cricket team that... <laughs> that has a lot of draws, right? <laughs> Aesthetically pleasing, some lovely cover drives, but you know they're going to they're going to take two days to score four hundred and, and and draw the game, um, but ultimately they're they're going to grind teams down. Colin Miller comparing them to Real Madrid in the Champions League. No matter how many times you think you've beaten them, they keep coming back. Sasha, what did you think in the qualifying? They were in the group with Russia, Slovakia, Slovenia. They were terrible. They were terrible to watch. They could they could barely score. Um, they come into this World Cup with a nil-nil draw. As it turns out, it's probably a good nil-nil draw given what Morocco have done since. Then, you know, they get wound up. And they get wound up, and it's a 4-1. Then, they should really lose to Belgium. Then, they're not very good against Japan. But today, the obdurate, I think the obdurate way that they handled today's game was just brilliant because, you know, Libakovic, Dominic Libakovic made 11 saves. But quite a few of them were sort of high percentage saves they were from areas where you'd like them to shoot. Yes, Neymar was through twice. Good proactive goalkeeping in those situations, one through, did very good blocking with his feet. Um, probably his best save was from Guardiol, uh, who tried to deflect the ball into his own net. Same Guardiol, who was, I th- and this, the, I advise everyone to watch this bit, because when Neymar is playing the second one too, Guardiol just twitches and goes forward a yard. He opens up a yard of space, and they play through that and around him. So minor, minor mistake. But also, Again, this situation to come back from it. They, how did they get up the pitch? Casemiro. You know, Casemiro played it for them, but they had to be there. But the guys who scored were the subs. Probably not in the same class as that brilliant midfield. Right. But they turned up just at the right time. Orsic to Pekovic. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, people getting very, very excited by Juranovic's performance at right back. I think he possibly pushed back Vinicius by being so proactive on that side. Right. I think that possibly has gone under the radar a bit because I think what we saw in the... When coming into this game, we thought Brazil get around the sides and, uh, and mess them up. And, but I think we've seen this again from Real Madrid, good comparison. They'll let you get around the sides and then they just really compact in the middle, and which I think, which I think uh, they were, um, Croatia were today. However, second half, I thought Anthony coming on was actually started getting around on the side and, you know, a bit of penetration from Brazil. But overall, it didn't feel like that there were many moments that Croatia were really hanging on. And then when it came to rousing themselves, I think, I think Brazil probably thought they had it in the back. I think everyone did. Right. Like, I didn't think Croatia were coming back this time. 
And yet they've done it again. And now they're going to go into a game against Argentina. They're probably pretty confident. And it is amazing, though, how this bunch of old men keep going 120 minutes, tournament after tournament after tournament. The older yeah. they get, the longer they go. It's, um, it's also a great testament to that, to that nation uh, that I think six World Cup appearances, three semifinals. It is amazing. Eight of their last nine tournament knockout games have gone to extra time. So we're all thinking, how is it possible that Croatia can consistently produce a team? Not the same team, different generations, but always performing, always challenging at this levels. And given that Slavon Bilic was in watching the later game, uh, we asked him to drop by the studio and give us his thoughts. Here's what the former Croatia star and manager had to say. Very proud moment, you know, we thought... First, we thought that after 98, when we went to semi-send, when we went the bronze medal, most of the people, including the people from football, were saying, never again, no chance like. Then Russia 2018, unbelievable, overachieved. they done better than us. And then they said, that's it, you know. And now again, again, it's amazing. I don't remember how many countries, how many teams were in consecutive World Cups, went to semi-finals. And, for, and if you add, big country, I'm talking about big countries. Right. Because like France, 98, they won it. 2002, big blow, you know, they went out in the group stage. Uh, it's amazing. So Croatia is the size that it is. And sizes. How is it that you produce a generation like the one you were in, you reach the semifinals, and then this other generation with Modric get to the, the final, now one game away from reaching the final again? How, Obviously, how? we are talented. That's, that's for sure, you know what I mean. So it wasn't one-off, as you said. So definitely for a fact, we are talented. We are talented, especially we are physically good. We are mentally really good. We're very good in team sports. You know, we are normally also very talented in basketball. We are... Very talented at handball, you know, water polo, we are one of the best in the world, so whatever. So those those kind of sports, when it's about your mate, when it's about helping each other, where it's about a group, not 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 just individuals, you know, when it's about a group, we have that with that, we have that togetherness, we have that unity. Because we are a small country, mm. our players they know each other since they were 10, 11, you know, because the most of them come from Dinamo Zagreb and Hajduk split, you know, so you know each other. Let's say in my generation, like 98, uh, Boban, Zvonimir Boban played for Milan and he played for Dinamo Zagreb. I played for Hajduk split together with other eight or nine, uh, nine players. But Zvonimir Boban started at Hajduk split. I know Boban since we were 10. That's more, we are not teammates. You are friends. We are friends and we off the pitch and also also this generation. Sometimes in the big countries when you play for big clubs that have a big leagues, you know, sometimes you are not that friendly, you know. As I uh, remember talking to some English uh, uh, internationals, like uh, you had, like when they gather together, when they, there's a call up, then you have a Chelsea table, then you have Man United table, then you have, I don't know, Liverpool table or whatever. In Croatia, it isn't like that. They call each other on a daily basis, not only when they play for a national team. They are proper mates, but that's not enough, of course. But we are, we are talented. We are, we, we are mentally strong. We are physically strong. Right. And that's it. Well, Brazil are talented too. And we saw what they did to their previous opponents, South Korea. What do you think of the job that, um, that Dalic did? Unbelievable. 
their job. The people are saying because he didn't have a, a great career in uh, Europe, let's say, or that because he went uh, to Middle East and he done a really good job there. But the people are talking about 2018. Yeah, that's one off. That's that. You know, it's not about him. It was about the generation, about Modric. It's always about the players at the end of the day. You know, but they had to be lead for him to do it again. Now, I don't have enough words to describe it. It's unbelievable. And he's the one who brings them that calmness, that belief. He's not loud. He's not uh, in front kind of the leader. You know, it's me all behind me. It's uh, it's my way or highway or whatever, blah, blah. Very clever, very good and very calm. And he transmits that, 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 uh, that mixture between calm and energy, between calmness and energy. To keep Brazil quiet, to control Brazil, to defend against them for, what, 105 minutes was a remarkable achievement. And I think most neutrals were, were cheering for Croatia. But when Neymar scored, most of us felt, OK, that's it. Yeah. But Croatia don't know when they're beaten. OK, to be fair, we still have 15 minutes, you know what I mean? And you are in a game. You are, you are in a game. And we knew that, that, that uh, the bad but thing you for... you hadn't had a shot on... You hadn't made a shot before that. Yeah, you were right. You were right. Yeah, but uh, and our goalkeeper was our best player uh, in the second half. First half, we've been. It was like even. You know what I mean? We're playing really good. Second half, the gaps occurred. You know, and and they had few, not clear, clear cut chances, but they had few good chances. And the keeper Livakovic, he he kept us alive. But uh, w- when we concede, the uh, bad thing for Brazil was they they done what the most of thing, teams are doing. And it, I'm sure, as a manager, it wasn't a tactics. It wasn't that, but probably Tite told them, "Don't go wild," you know. But you can't see it against any team. And we got our chance, and we equalized, and uh, the rest is history. The rest was penalties. Yeah. You, you were manager in 2008, no? Yeah, the penalty yeah. shooter with Turkey and. Modric that day put his penalty, I think, completely wide of the goal. How did you, how were you when you were watching the penalties? That was different, you know, that was, we were then in a position of Brazil today, even worse, even worse, because it was quarterfinal, we had a very young team, and then we scored in uh, two minutes to go in extra time, and it was it, basically, but we conceded last kick of the game and then I was watching the Turkish players their bench and they were like oh penalties like they were celebrating we got a chance our guys were like oh my god penalties like Croatia tonight exactly mm-hmm. exactly so uh, but tonight penalties also shows yes the penalties are about luck uh, but uh, how composed our players are Orsic penalty against Alisson Orsic penalty Vlasic penalty Meyer penalty, Luca penalty. They are, they are like, they are like, so like they were shooting in five aside game in training after the training where when there was, when it was a draw to do it like that. And this is like, not that I think I know that last last World Cup in Russia. Yeah, we went through against Denmark in last sixteen, mm-hmm. and then we Russia. went uh, against Russia. And now against Japan and against Brazil. We can't wait for penalties. <laughs> Slavin Bilic. And as Tim was saying, actually, he's a very engaging speaker. He was he's part of a very engaging team uh, back in the 90s. Um, yeah, he, he probably wasn't the star of that team. I mean, he was playing alongside Boban, Šuker, um, Prosinecki, Bokšić, who actually missed the 98 World Cup through injury. 
But um, you know, I was I was watching that World Cup effectively on hold after finishing my A levels, and it's one of the you know the big footballing memories of of, of growing up. Uh, that Croatia team romping through that tournament, uh, destroying Germany in the um, in the quarterfinals, um, beating Holland uh, in the third place playoff. I know many people sniff at it, but that was two proper first teams going for it then. And yeah, I loved it. And before that, I watched them at Euro 96, and they were still sort of a work in progress. But that's certainly one of the iconic sides of the 90s. So it's great to see that this small nation produced another generation that you know goes on for even longer. Well, Croatia's current generation will be in action in the semifinals then against Argentina. And we're looking forward to that. Uh, but... Before we get to the semis, we've got two more quarterfinals coming up on Saturday. They are Morocco-Portugal and England-France. We'll discuss those next. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. 3pm UK time, 6 in Doha at the Altamama Stadium on Saturday. It's Portugal-Morocco. Africa's the only continent that's... uh never had a team make it to the semi-finals, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's been heartbreak every single time we've gotten here before. There's a little bit of a glass ceiling that we're not able to shatter. Um, and we do view this sort of collectively as a continent, you know, just because historically in World Cups, Africa's sort of been underrepresented and they sort of had to fight 
to, to get a guaranteed place back in 1966 and, and so on and so forth and so the whole continent is behind them now and I would say the Arab world as well and so this is going to be a, a very 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 big game in the region <laughs> They're number 31 in terms of possession in, in the entire World Cup with a total average of 32% per game. They're number one in tackles per game with 23, uh, 23 per game. And so what you see is that they very clearly have an identity. And that's very difficult to do when you take, you're not even 100 days into the job. Uh, very clearly they set up in that, you know, 4-3-3 or 4-1-4-1, whatever you want to call it. They have very clear instructions. They sit in that shell, uh, and then they, they hit you on counterattacks and they hit you on set pieces. Just look at the, the Belgium game. That's exactly how they scored their goals. So the fact that he managed to, to, to really get them into that identity in such short period of time, I think, says a lot about his coaching ability, especially because uh, he really formed this system around the players that he has available to him. Morocco doesn't have a Darwin Nunez or a Erling Haaland that they can rely on when they attack to, to score goals. They have to play this way to make it this far and that's exactly what they did. Seeing Gonzalo Ramos on the team sheet was uh, good news pretty much for everybody uh, watching, uh, paying a bit of attention to the match because um, his, uh, his characteristics fit perfectly with what the team needs at this moment. And he's either super form in Portugal, he's the top goal scorer in Portugal. He's doing a brilliant season, so we were really happy to see him uh, on the starting lineup for the match against Switzerland. One of the big criticisms over the last couple of years uh, of Fernando Santos was to have all this talent available for him, and yet he always played in the same conservative manner, always uh, putting Ronaldo up front, even if his, moment, even if his goals were not coming up. When you see uh, João Félix completely free to do what he does best, uh, it's a different player. I mean, the problem, the problem was that he had to work for Ronaldo. Now that that problem seems to be gone, if that was a problem, uh, Félix is completely free to roam around the pitch like he likes. It's a surprise to see him finally uh, putting all this talent together and making it work for him, uh, making it work for the team and creating this fluid offensive lineup. Ashraf Hakimi, yes side Ashraf, yes side Ashraf, goal, 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 Allah also. Can Morocco force Portugal to play laterally? Can they force them into sterile possession? And when you look at it from that point of view, I think they would rather prefer to see Cristiano Ronaldo play this match on the bench, despite the fact that, you know, Portugal probably looked better with Gonzalo Ramos playing. But Cristiano, you know, he's just so clever in the box. I don't know if there's a player in the world that's better at attacking crosses. Can Morocco frustrate Portugal like they frustrated Spain? I heard a few analysts saying after the match, why didn't we shoot from outside the box? That's another thing Cristiano Ronaldo will do is he takes probably too many shots. So that really is, the, the, for me, the narrative of this match. Can they force them into sterile possession? Or will Portugal be more aggressive than Spain was? And will they be better at you know, attacking the box than Spain was? If Portugal uh, keeps on playing uh, the, the, the same way they played against the Swiss, I believe they can actually go on and win the tournament. So um, I'm not saying we're going to be favorites against Morocco. They did a brilliant match against Spain. But uh, Portugal was also really, really impressive. It's going to be a tough, 
match against Morocco. They, they're really, really solid on defense. They only allowed one goal uh, in the whole tournament, and it was an own goal. Uh, so it's going to be hard for us to dismantle that whole defensive line apart. But uh, if Portugal keeps on the same level, uh, I mean, the sky's the limit. Bruno Souza there and Maher Mazahi. Tim, what do you think? Can Portugal win the World Cup? Yeah, they, they, they can. They definitely can. Um, I remember saying at the start of the tournament that they're the type of team that, that will either go out on the group stage or potentially go all the way because it was about if they, if they clicked or not. And if Fernando Santos, I hate, I hate the phrase, I'm sorry to use it, but it is it's quite like let the handbrake off, um, which he has done a bit like Southgate. I think there are quite a few parallels there between, between the two squads, but I really, really, really don't think they can have it anywhere near as easy as they did against the Swiss. I just... The gaps that Morocco plugged against Spain, Portugal will struggle to find their way through. If if Morocco can play with that intensity again, because I guess that's a question. They have a lot of injuries, Morocco. Yeah. And it felt like they were running to the limit in the previous match. Will they recover? I mean, I, hope, I really hope for their sake that they do, because it'd be a crying shame if they went out because they're a bit tired and they've got a few players out injured. But also, the I mean, we've, we've seen and heard the last few days... It's not just 120 minutes. It's the emotion of this, the biggest result in their history, certainly in World Cups anyway. So how much of a toll has they taken on the place? Can they go again? But then I thought that about Croatia the other day and look yeah. what they've just done. Very true, very true. All right, Saturday evening then, it's England-France. Uh, here's French television talking about how worried the English are. Et sur les grands, les grands écrans du stade, on voit qu'il a été chronométré à 35 km h Et la radio anglaise et la télévision anglaise, dès qu'ils ont vu cette stat, ils ont sorti la contre-stat anglaise en rappelant à tout le monde que Kyle Walker, donc le défenseur, l'arrière droit des Anglais qui défendra contre Kylian samedi soir dans, dans le match France-Angleterre, que bah, lui avait couru à 36,7 km h contre les Gallois en disant... Bah, c'est Julien Laurent en Super Moscato Show, explaining how les Anglais avant peur... And earning wows from the pundits when he says that when Killian was clocked at 35 kilometers an hour against Poland, the English media said straight away that Walker would be clocked at 36.7 against Wales. Wow. Julian, the man who straddles both sides of the channel and is on pretty much every one at the moment, uh, is joining us right now. Julian. Hello, James. Yeah, those Anglais, huh? Always oh. asking you, comment s'arrêter Mbappé? Exactly. How do you stop him? You know, Carl Walker, the French guy be pissed off about the whole Walker thing and he's quick enough and he's this and this, they're starting saying like, this is not athletics. This is not a hundred meter race. You know, this is not, it's not just because you're quick that you can stop a Killian. So huh. it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see. Okay. I mean, in the sport of football, they faced each other four times of late in the Champions League. Mbappe mm-hmm. scoring one, one goal and only one win for PSG. Different teams, of course. I yeah. just mentioned it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, all right, well, so God Save Our King, as uh, L'Equipe had its headline after Mbappe's last performance, but let's not focus too much on him. If we shouldn't be obsessing over Mbappe, what should we be worrying about, about this French side? So I think I think he's right to obsess with him, to just to start with quickly, Jimbo, because he's the best player in the world, he's, he's the best player in this tournament, and if you don't stop him, then I think you increase your probability of losing that game. So I hope for England that Kyle Walker does a good job. He can't do a good job on his own. I think this has to be, you know, in a way and to a certain extent, a team effort. Uh, but I think it would be, it would be a, one of the big keys of the game, of course. 
then the thing is you can also worry about Ousmane Dembele v Luke Shaw on the other side. You can worry about Griezmann in that kind of new position where he really he runs the game with his activity and all the movement and to make sure that Henderson, if he's not too busy helping Walker out on Mbappe, Rice and Bellingham kind of do a good job with Griezmann and, and all his movement in the middle of the pitch and then try to go at the, the, the France's weaknesses, which are, well, especially a right back, Koundé, who hasn't been good so far, who is not a right back per se, he's a centre-back. And I guess maybe to, to, on the left with Theo Hernandez, although Theo is, is a much better player, much better fullback than Koundé is, but defensively, sometimes he's got a few absences. So, yeah, I think that's where pretty much between weaknesses and strength, this is a good picture of this French team. Even the injuries are working out for you. Benzema and Lucas Hernandez going out for Olivier Giroud and Theo Hernandez. I mean, it's worked so well that if you could swap them back, would you? It's nice. We would never know where we would be right now with Karim and, and Lucas in the team. It could be exactly the same. It could be better. It could be worse. It's true that things are working with Giroud because of the way he plays as a centre-forward, which is very different to Benzema. And maybe Kylian would not have been that good at Benzema being here and, and, and playing and starting. But, but maybe Benzema would have helped Kylian to be even better. It's, it's impossible to say. The thing is... This French team was a huge, was a big jigsaw after Benzema suffered that injury and went home the Sunday when the tournament started. And Deschamps had to pick up the pieces of that jigsaw, put them together and trying as quickly as possible to make them all stick with each other and glue to each other. And I think Griezmann has helped massively for that in this new position, which is, I think, a, a, a moment of brilliance really from Deschamps to, to have thought about it, to have engineered it and to have convinced Griezmann to play there and play well there. And now the jigsaw fits well. And I don't know if the jigsaw like collapses on Saturday or not, but certainly from where we started, with all the injuries, all the problems on the field, off the field, to, to be where we are now, yeah, I think it's, um, it's a pretty good three weeks. I've seen you predicting this game as a 1-0 victory for England. But that's just you mm. messing about, isn't it? No, so no, just... no. People keep saying, no, I really believe it. This one is, is a 50-50 game. You can go 55-45 uh-huh. for whoever you think. In the end, you can go for France because of Kylian, simply, simply because of Kylian. You can go for England. They've got too much of the bench, for example, not to win this game. So I go 55-45 England, which is a bit where I'm standing now. There are moments, Jimbo, where I think France are going to win. I don't see France losing. And then there's other times where I think... This England side is really good. And I don't like the manager, you know. I call him the, uh, the, Sylvain Ripoll, the English Sylvain Ripoll for our France under 21 manager who's pretty useless. Mm. I don't like him. I mean, I don't like him as a manager. I don't, you know, I don't rate him that much. But for me, this is a hell of a squad. And right now, all the qualities that this England team has is good against this French side. We mentioned the set pieces. We, we haven't mentioned, but we could have mentioned Hurricane dropping, which I think can, can mess up Chouamini's head, for example. We've mentioned the firepower up front, especially wide as well against Theo and Koundé. They, they've been very impressed with Bellingham. And we talked a lot about him on French media, like French radio and French television, about why he's able to do a 19 in a World Cup, which is incredible. Well, that he also holds the keys, I think, for England in terms of his activity and everything that he's going to bring, the energy and with the ball as well, what he brings to this England side. So I think you could easily make a case for either ones to win. And mm. you could also say it's 50-50 and he goes to Penn. And yeah, it's also possible. Jules, so much potential, certainly, in this England side, but France might have the fact that they've been there and done that on their side. 
And also, let's not forget, I love that start. It's not a good start for England, but the last time England beat a, a top country at the World Cup in knockout stages was in 1966. Since then, apart from the Colombias and the, the Swedens, you've never managed to beat a team like France at this stage in, in the World Cup. So I believe that it can't last forever. So there's a point where he will stop and you will finally win one of those games and it could well be on Saturday. But I think Deschamps has been there before. Southgate has been there, but Southgate has lost every time he's been there. Deschamps has been there and won. And I think this also could be a, could be a big thing. But the French are confident, but I think the English right now, if, I, if we were sneaking into their camp, you would think they should, I mean, I think they should be confident too. So... When two teams are best as they can, with no one missing, no slight injuries, nothing. Like I mean, from the squad, from the current squad, we don't talk about Pogba, Conte, all of that. The, the, the players available right now here in Doha, I think for both of them to be confident, both of them to think they can win a 50-50 game. So not a huge favorite and to be underdog, which is always a bit, I don't know, it's a bit rubbish like the France-Poland, the, the England-Senegal, that kind of, those kind of games. This is so exciting. Julian Laurent. Well, that's certainly a worrying statistic from England's point of view, the fact that they haven't beaten a major nation, slightly nebulous phrase, but a major footballing power since 1966 at the World Cup. Tim? They beat Germany at the Euros last last year. Right. I know it's at Wembley, but still. Um, it feels a bit different to me this year. And more recently, well, this year, Group B was rated the toughest of all of the World Cup groups at this World Cup, and nobody picked up more group stage points in any of the groups than, than Gareth Southgate's side as they cruise through with clean sheets and scoring loads of goals. So, Sasha, from your objective viewpoint, what do you think? Well, first of all, I think you have to say that England, for me, have progressed at every tournament under Southgate. I mean, we, could, we remember that in, in, in Russia uh, in 2018, they weren't really be particularly great going forward. They're quite stodgy to watch. thought they improved last year. And I think this year we're seeing sort of most powerful performances yet. Yeah, there are situations where England are perhaps, you know, soaking up a bit of pressure, inviting the opposition on, like they did, for example, against Senegal, for Senegal to open up a bit. But then they knew when to, when to hit them. You know, they have, they have players with Champions League experience, Champions League winners. They have Bellingham, who's incredible. I think this game, I'm actually amazed that Julian predicted the 1-0 because I think both teams' strengths are going forward. Right. I, mean, I don't think you should be drawn into any false sense of security by the fact that England have kept all these clean sheets because they have faced... This is going to be a completely different game, I think, for England compared to the previous opponents because the level of opposition is completely different. So right. I think it's going to be, you know... Um, I think for me, um, Griezmann is key. So I think Rice needs to do something about Griezmann in this game. From France's point of view, I think it's probably Bellingham and Henderson are both key. So it could be potential battle of the midfields and how they unleash that attacking potential, how they unleash Mbappe, how they unleash Foden or Kane. Perhaps Kane can drop deeper and overwhelm that midfield. I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things going on and I think it's going to be a lot better than the 1-0. Okay, and would you want to offer a scoreline? Who do you think is going to win? Uh, I think France are going to win and it's going to be 4-3. Good Lord. Good Lord. Tim, a lot of people are still waiting to know what or who England are. And I guess this game is seen as one that's going to provide some answers. This is it, certainly in terms of the team that he picks. Um, I honestly think it's about it's about what Southgate does. I, I really, really do. If he lets them play, I think England can win this. If he goes cautious, I wouldn't. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't feel optimistic. Um, can you not understand why you'd be cautious in, no, I can, in front yeah, of I a can, team like... But I, I just, yeah, but it hasn't worked traditionally in the past few years for England against big opponents at big tournaments. Um, 
So can Southgate hold his nerve? It's all about Bellingham, basically. He, you know, he's the X factor. He makes England unpredictable, whereas they have been predictable going forward, albeit very efficient. Um, and I hope for Southgate that they do it because I, f- I just feel like he's so un- un- underestimated and underrated by a lot of people, but his, his record's been better than almost anyone in, in, in the history of the country. And if they beat France, they can win the World Cup. I don't doubt that at all. It's a shame it's a court final, really. But. Right. Top loader have been booked. I was going to ask you that, have they really? That's got to count for something. <laughs> I thought it would be Babylon Zoo, maybe. Or, uh, Keeping them back for the final, yeah. you'd think. That is incredible. Top loader. Yeah. So, so you're not allowed to have had more than one hit. That's the... <laughs> I guess not. I, I haven't had the full list of all the acts booked, but yeah, it does seem to be very much that's the criteria. It's could come down to goalkeepers. Um, I mean, I'm no fan of Pickford. I think a bit of a chaotic style, but he's been having excellent time uh, as a recent. When called upon, he saved England at this tournament, whereas Lloris feels like a, s- a senior professional on a bit of a wane. There are mistakes in him. So maybe, maybe Pickford could make the crucial saves for England. But when I said France 4-3, it's really close. See, Sasha knew that I really wanted to plug my piece that's going on The Athletic oh, in the morning, which is which is Kane v Lloris, oh. and how that interesting dynamic, the Spurs captain and the Spurs vice captain, teammates for 10 years, you know, they've trained with each other hundreds and hundreds of times. They both know each other's strengths and weaknesses all the way through. Penalties will be fascinating. So Kane said today that he doesn't actually practice penalties against Lloris, so he says it's more mostly against the second and third choice Spurs keepers. What, in case he meets France in a tournament? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Clever guy. Right. Sorry. Um, so they've only faced each other once before, which was in 2017, uh, in a, a friendly in Paris. And Kane went straight down the middle for his penalty against Lloris that day. So, I mean, I can't imagine a, a, a bigger pressure moment than that in a shootout or in normal time tomorrow. Kane v Lloris. But yeah, Sasha's right. Lloris, I mean, I've watched him having covered Spurs for the last few months. Doesn't come off his line anymore. He is hesitant. He does drop a clanger in big matches. It has happened over, yeah, the, over the, the past Cup few final seasons. Last time. World Cup final. Um, yeah, and a few this season, Arsenal away, he dropped one. Um, a little bit more hesitant than he used to be. Stays on his line and trusts his reflexes, which, to be fair, are still right up there. All right, Tim, looking forward to reading that piece. Saturday morning, ahead of the games, at theathletic.com. Then we'll have the action. Portugal against Morocco, England, France. And then we'll be back with another Totally at the World Cup. Taking stock of all of that and looking forward to the semi-finals. Today would be hard to beat, though. (laughs) Yeah, but I remember we said that on several occasions during those final games of the group stage nights. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see, eh? We'll see. And we'll have a full roundup in Saturday nights, Totally at the World Cup. Sasha, thank you so much for coming in this evening. And Tim... Thanks for taking time away from your celebrity chums. Uh, Thanks as well to producer Charlie and you, listener. A reminder as well that after the music uh, that's coming up right now, you can hear a special excerpt from the Athletic Football Podcast episode on the off the field issues that continue to overshadow uh, this exceptional World Cup. For now, from all of us here at Totally at the World Cup, it's goodbye and see you Saturday night. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet.
Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Well, I was trying to think of the reasons around some of the cult, kind of the culture wars that have broken out during this tournament. And the two best examples of that, which really broke out on the weekend of the tournament, one was you had alcohol banned from stadiums two days before the tournament was due to start. And the second one was, can footballers wear a rainbow armband? This was all stuff that for years had basically been, it, you know, rainbow flags in the stadium. I'd spoken to people from the Supreme Committee who said that was going to be fine. They said it was going to be fine. And you'd spoken to, spoken to people from FIFA who said there'll be alcohol in the stadiums. That was Budweiser's agreement, right? In isolation, you can take an issue like alcohol in an Islamic country. There's no harm to me as a Westerner if I'm told to go to a country and not have alcohol. Zero harm, right? Okay, the experience is a little bit different, but there's no harm. But the fact that Qatar put its foot down on those two issues that weekend... I think is really significant. And I think part of the reason for that is, one, they wanted to say to FIFA, it might say FIFA World Cup, you might have FIFA branding all over this tournament, but this is Qatar's World Cup, and you're going to come here, and you're going to do things our way to a certain extent. And the second aspect of that was, they wanted to show the Arab world that they're going to stand up for an interpretate, I would say an interpretation of Islamic values that are, that are you know, politically very, very expedient for them at, at, this, at this moment in time. And I think this might sound a little bit conspiratorial, but I think, I think the, the row over the rainbow suited Qatar as the row to have during this tournament. And the, and the reason for that is they can say things, the, the kind of the talking point lines around it are pretty easy for them, right? You've got a load of teams at the World Cup whose nations, whose governments outlaw homosexuality. It's not just us. It's not just us. 1966, when you had a World Cup final in England, it was, out, it was outlawed there at the it's, time. But this is a sort of modern-day whataboutery, isn't it's it? It's cultural. Yeah. It's a cultural. In the same way as we might have said Nadine Doris, culture secretary, at the Conservative government in Britain was doing culture wars all the time. That's the, it's, it's the politics of, of Trump, of Bannon. It's, it's that kind of, we're going to fight... We're gonna fight culture wars and we're going to deflect from the, dis- the, the harder discussion for, for Qatar which is migrant workers because that's the, that's the one which is universally far far harder to win because it's basically we've not treated poor people really well despite being really 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 rich people and we've exploited them and I think that whole kind of confected row where FIFA got involved to say the day before the tournament you can't wear this rainbow armband I think it suited. I think it suited them. And then Germany crash out after making that protest, yeah. and Arsene Wenger feels able to sit at a technical committee meeting and say, you know, that was a contributory factor. And same with Denmark. It's so, as Adam says, that that was a, a battle that they will probably feel they've they've won. The Athletic.